Zechariah chapter 6. But before we hear from the Lord, let's ask His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come again before You, and we thank You for this, Your Word. It is perfect and is complete. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us, and You have shown us all that we need to know for life and godliness. We ask that you would help us to believe it, to base our lives upon it, and Lord God, to find comfort as we hear it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah chapter 6. I'll be reading the first eight verses I had intended to. Work through the whole chapter this morning, but I don't think we're going to do it. So I'll read the first eight verses. Please give your full attention. This is the Word of God. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses all of them strong. And then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. And the chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go towards the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go towards the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So far the reading of God's word, may he indeed add his blessing to it. Well, it is always a joy to be together with God's people in the house of the Lord, to be with you all at church here. Um, it seems fewer and fewer moments, um, there are fewer and fewer moments outside uh, of church where there is any peace or sanity or safety. Uh, the things going on in our culture today are incredibly disruptive and disorienting to our minds and to our souls and our spirits. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, it can seem as though there is nothing that we do personally that makes any difference in the world, uh, adds any sanity, brings any peace, heals any wounds, uh, uh, and certainly advances the plan and purposes of God to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And very often we are discouraged and slothful and lethargic and even spiritually indifferent at times. But we need to know that in Christ we have hope. We don't need to give in to despair. Those in Zechariah's day were discouraged and lethargic and indifferent as well. They, like we, had trouble believing and living as if God would come through on the promises that he had given the people of God throughout history. Zechariah is showing them that God will be victorious and that the Messiah will indeed surely come. And he is showing them that even where they are, that their lives and work for the Lord were important. It mattered. And we see in chapter 6, on the whole, that because the Lord is sovereign and He will accomplish His purposes, 
Our work for him is never in vain. Rather, it is of great, great value. We've looked at Zechariah so far in both macro and micro uh, detail. And as I said, we could spend many, many months if we were to dig really deep. Um, but we're not going to do that. Our purposes this time through are to glean the big pictures of what the Lord has given us here. Uh, chapter 6 is the end of that very busy night of visions for the prophet Zechariah. The night visions of Zechariah conclude in chapter 6. And these visions form, as many have uh, indicated, a tapestry. Uh, a tapestry. And in fact, many have pointed out that the book of Zechariah, on the whole, is in the form of a, a literary device called uh, a diptych. And that is, it's a, uh, it's a work where the two, there's two panels that are connected by a center hinge, um, kind of like a spiral-bound notebook. And it's interesting that points on either side correlate with one another. And these are found all through Zechariah, and indeed the book as a whole. And we'll see right now as we look at it, um, the night visions, indeed, chapter 1 and chapter 6, correspond to one another. Um, in this night of visions, remember the Lord has done uh, amazing things. Leading into, uh, leading into this, these visions for the people of God. Recall the people of God had gone into exile into Babylon. And then in fulfillment of the prophecies of Jeremiah and of Isaiah, after 70 years in captivity, God moved on the heart of this pagan king, Cyrus. He moves on this king, and through that king, the people of God come back to the promised land out of exile. The time of the restoration, they were restored to the land. And they came back, and God called them to do what? To rebuild the broken down city of Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple of God. They were to do this so that Jerusalem might again be the center place, the focal point of his worship, the focal point of his people, the church in the Old Testament, that place where Yahweh was glorified and praised, that place where all people, not just the family of Abraham, but the nations were to come into, remember, they were to come and to come into a covenant living faith, trusting and living for God. And remember as well, Zechariah and his older fellow prophet Haggai told of the blessings the Lord would lavish upon them, even material blessings, where they would have paneled houses. But what was the problem? What was the problem as perceived by them and the people? Well, like we just said, the temple was in ruins. And recall that there was opposition to rebuilding the temple, right? Opposition from the outside, and there was also opposition from the inside. They were, the people were indifferent. They were slothful. They were numb to who they were. And God comes to them. And he comes to them in the works of his providence and in the words of his prophets. And in his providence, he brings them and he restores them to the land. But he allows opposition. There's hardship for the people of God. The people are discouraged. And then God brings the words of his prophets to his people. Haggai and Zechariah come and they speak forth the words of the Lord. And the people are urged to build the temple by Haggai. And Haggai tells them that the glory of the Lord would again fill that place. And then Zechariah comes later. And he has this incredible night of visions. A single tapestry of visions, you might say. And these visions run, again, from the center of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 6. And what these visions tell Zechariah and they tell us is a description of the amazing way that God will indeed bring about his sovereign purposes 
To do what? To bring glory to his name, even to the ends of the earth. And at the center of this tapestry of visions are these two figures, Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the king. And these figures represent, together, the coming Messiah, king and priest, the one who will come to the temple when it is completed. And we see the resistance and the challenge on either side of these two. Opposition to God's words and opposition to God's works from inside and from outside. And as we look at the outer portions of the visions, chapter 1 and chapter 6, we see a kind of inclusion, and inclusio, a balance of visions connected to one another. They correlate, they correspond. Right? Remember in chapter 1, what did we have? We had these horses, scouts that were sent out by the angel of the Lord. They were sent out to examine what is going on amongst the peoples of the world while the city of God lay in ruins. And what was their report, do you remember, from chapter 1? They said that the nations were resting. They were at rest, content, while God's people were down and out, depressed and discouraged, despondent. And that was the front end of the vision, this tapestry of visions. And then on the back end of this tapestry in chapter 6, we have the answer and the balance to that vision. And again, we have horses, right? We have horses described in chapter 6. What's the difference, though? What's different this time than chapter 1? In chapter 6, they're not returning from a reconnaissance mission to the Lord. They're going out from the Lord. They're going out. These are the chariots of God going to the ends of the earth to accomplish God's plans. When you look at chapter 6 in your Bibles, you'll see that it's made up of two distinct parts. And those parts speak of the chariots of God and then the crowning of the Messiah. The chariots of God and the crowning of the Messiah. And these two things together are God's plan on the whole. Right right there in the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Right there. The gospel, the plan of God. Isn't that awesome? The chariots of God come from his temple and they conquer the nations and the coming of the Messiah establishes his eternal kingdom. It's nothing less than a picture of the gospel of Christ going to the ends of the earth. And it's truly glorious and wonderful and consistent how unified the whole of God's word is. From this prophet a half a century before Christ, even through to the last book of the New Testament, it is consistent, it is united. Zechariah sees these horses here in chapter 6, and they haven't just returned. Right? No, look at verse 7, what it says. It says, when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go throughout the land. Impatient, the word means eager, straining. Straining were the horses to go out. And these colored horses pulling the chariots of God are eager to go to the ends of the earth. And Zechariah asks in verse 1, he said, I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. And as we've seen before in these visions, very much of them have to do with the details are often related to the temple of God of old and the city of God of old. And when we look at 1 Kings 7, if we were to read on, from our Old Testament reading, uh, we see, we read about these massive pillars, 
made of bronze. They were at the entrance to the great temple of Jerusalem. They were bronze pillars, 50 feet high, massive, immensely thick as well. And Zechariah's vision shows them as bronze mountains. And from between those mountains come the four chariots of God. And Zechariah sees here, he has the sense of the Spirit of God himself coming forth, coming out from the temple, the holiest place. And in the power of the Spirit of the Lord, there is this reference there. In verse 5, it says, And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four, it says winds, but spirits is the word, um, it's the same word, of heaven, the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. The word is ruach, it can mean wind or spirit. Uh, spirit certainly fits better here in this context, I believe, um, as do many other English translations. It's the four spirits of heaven going out in the power of the spirit, of his spirit. And he is going where? He's going to reach the very ends of the world. And then in verse 6, it says, The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. And the white ones go after them. And the dappled, that means speckled, ones go towards the south country. I qualified that because I didn't know what dappled meant either. Um, and when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrolled the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. And here's another rendering of the word. Patrolled is not the best rendering of that word. The word means walk. Walk or go, walk. Walk the earth. Go walk the earth. So they walked the earth. And there's a significant difference there, right, between patrol, a passively going out patrolling, or going out to take care of business. And they go up north. And they go down south and they go throughout the world, throughout the earth. And then in verse 8 it says, Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go towards the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Right? They've set my spirit at rest. One of the north is taken down in the, in the text. It's a sample of the total result. They've set my spirit at rest. The result was that those horse-pulled chariots of God have given rest to his spirit. Rest in the land of the north. Right, and so let's back up again and recall, in the beginning, Zechariah heard of the scouts returning from the whole earth. Right, This reconnaissance mission, they come back, and what was their report? The whole earth remains at rest. They're not bothered. They're at ease. They are at ease in their indifference in opposition to God and His glory and delight in the ruin of His church. But now in chapter 6, who is at rest? Who is at rest? Oh, it is not the nations of the earth. It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, He has come to rest because His purposes are being accomplished. Think for a moment of that idea of rest. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, at the end of that creation week, after God has brought form and filling to the formless and void, after ex nihilo creation, after those six days, on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Or think of the seventh year rest for the land, right? The people would work the land for six years, and then on the seventh, they would give rest to the land. And we could go on, there's a pattern in Scripture of the seventh rest, the seventh 
uh, uh, the rest of the seventh. God's Spirit is working, and working until he finds a place where he can rest and be satisfied from his labors. And Zechariah pictures for us that work. We know, of course, today, having the full revelation of God, where we are in redemptive history, we know that that comes to fulfillment in Christ, particularly in his baptism. Right? Remember, his baptism, the heavens are torn in two, and the Spirit comes down, descends upon him, like he had come to the earth to find rest in Noah's day. Remember? Or like in our text, in the land of the north. Comes to rest. But in the baptism of our Lord, he comes, and the Holy Spirit finds rest upon the person of Jesus Christ. And this is on and in him that all, that that pointed and pictured. And it says what? It says that through this Jesus alone, it's through him that the purposes and plan of God will come to pass for certain. He's the one. And Zechariah couldn't have had all this detail, of course, where he was in redemptive history. But God's purposes pictured in the rebuilding of the temple. It would have their final rest in Jesus, the one upon whom the Spirit rests. Right? What an encouragement, right? What an encouragement where we are in redemptive history. And remember, too, the north. What was the north? The north was the place where they just came from captivity. Right? They just come from the north. It was in the north where their, uh, their, their uh, major enemies were. And Zechariah sees the spirit of, God, spirit of God go in rest, in conquest, in victory over that land, the land of the north. And what is this doing for Zechariah? What is it doing for the people of God? It's encouraging him that even though the things seem pretty bleak, the temple is in ruins, it is little and pathetic, even though the nations are opposed to the plans of God, God will nevertheless bring those plans to pass for certain. Zechariah cannot look beyond, I'm sorry, he can look beyond. He can look beyond, beyond the temporal to the eternal, beyond the passing to the permanent, beyond the works of men to the works of God. He can see beyond the ruins to the reality of God in all of it, in fulfilling his purposes. That's the point. And even in the day of small things, as he said earlier, opposition, harassment, weakness, discouragement, nevertheless, he can lift his gaze beyond eternal things and put it all in the story of what God, this all-powerful God, is accomplishing and will one day complete. What a beautiful promise, what a wonderful encouragement for us as well. And you see what a wonderful change for him. He has received a per perspective corrective, right? His perspective has been corrected. And isn't that something that we need as well? Particularly in our day. Particularly this year. It's something we need, brothers and sisters. We need again and again to be corrected in our perspective, our outlook on life, in the reality of things eternal, to look beyond the temporal things. And in the fatigue and stress and heartache of all that is going on in the world around us, and even in the blackness of our own hearts, in the failures of our own hearts, we need a perspective corrective that reminds us that God, our almighty God, is working out his purposes, even through it all. And he will bring his plans to fruition. Even through it all, even though it seems bleak and stressful and lost and broken, the world seems to be spiraling the the drain. Even yet, God's Spirit has come 
to rest on his son, and that son will one day make all things new. What a glorious truth. And you, if you belong to him, you are united to him, and you have the promise of a home in glory wherein righteousness dwells where you will enjoy that beatific vision in the presence of Christ for all of eternity. Oh, that would change your perspective, if only you would imagine. What a transformation of our perspective to look beyond to this wonderful reality. We, like Zechariah, need to see that even in the day of small things, our small things are a part of the tapestry that God is putting together. And he will continue to do so until the glory of his name is manifest throughout all the earth. And we know this right, of course. Right? We know this. This is what faith is. Right? Hebrews 11, chapter 1, says what? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the, con- the conviction of things not seen. It's seeing through the things not visible to the invisible. Believing God's word, all that he tells us, and it's when we grasp God's future promises with trusting a trusting life of faith in the present, even when we see zero or little of them coming about. What do we do? We trust. We trust. We believe. Right? Chapter 11 of Hebrews is that whole, it's the whole hall of faith, right? You all are familiar with this. And what is it that defines them all? Well, of course, it's faith. Faith. They endured and endured, looking to and seeing by faith from the visible to the one who is invisible. They learned that the great lesson of seeing the visible by the invisible, the temporal by the eternal, the human by the divine. Oh, Zechariah needed this corrective. He needed the vision change, even as you and I need that corrective over and over again. That's why we come Lord's Day by Lord's Day, to be reminded again. That's why we uh, are, are deep in, in the text daily, because we are forgetful and feeble and foolish. And isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord has given us his word? He's not left us to grow up around in the dark, try to figure things out, make things up on our own, make sense of it all. Praise him that he's given us his perfect and sufficient and infallible word. And what does it do for Zechariah and for us? It gives us the power and encouragement to live our days, even today, for that glorious day when Christ will be glorified in all the earth. There were those all around Zechariah reminding him of the pathetic temple. Nevertheless, he has given this vision to allow him to see that regardless of the pathetic factors of life, or the discouraging state of things in man's eyes. Nevertheless, the visions empowered him to know that his work in building the kingdom of God was critical because it was part of God's plan. His work had meaning. It was meaningful. It mattered. And we need to remember this as well. We have every earthly, temporal, and worldly reason to be discouraged and beaten down and depressed and stressed and fatigued. I know I feel it, but we must, like Zechariah, see beyond these hard times, beyond our own sinful hearts, beyond the world seeming victory and advancement over everything that is good and true and beautiful and right. 
Because we know the promises of God. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We have a greater revelation than Zechariah. Yet that final future is yet future. We have already been united to Christ if we belong to him. We are citizens of the heavenly realm. Yet we are not yet fully consummated. Right? The Lord has yet us here for a reason. And we have a work to do here. And it is important work. Regardless of how we feel or whatever the world tells us. We have the great commission. And we have the great commandment. Right? We are to love our God and our neighbor. For real. And all that that means. We are to be Christ to our neighbor. We are to work as we can to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And through that, the Lord will and is building his kingdom. So what do we do? Right? We have to step back and ask, what, what do we do? What do we love? What is the chief love of your heart? Is it your desire in life and in all that you do to reflect the love of Jesus? Is that it? Is it more important to you to reflect his love or to make sure everyone knows that you have the right answer in the right position about every cultural issue of our day. Which is it? Which do you love? What do you spend your time on? What do you love most? Oh, may love rule our hearts, brothers and sisters, in our actions and our words for his glory. As I said, we won't have time to finish the second half of the chapter this morning. So we'll return next week. But for now, let's remember. Let's remember that our Lord is sovereign. And he has scouted the earth. And he will send back out to the ends of the earth the chariots of God. And he will bring final peace. This is his promise to us. And that's not merely an abstract cosmic tale. It is the promise of God for your good, for your encouragement in life and hope in this fallen world. And it is enjoyed by faith, brothers and sisters. By faith. Let us remember too that because of his promise, the certainty of that promise, we should and can be encouraged and confident to live our lives knowing, no matter how seemingly small, that no work for the kingdom of Jesus, no work to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth is in vain. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, the very end of that book says, it is not in vain, or labor is not in vain. And so go from here, dear people. Go refreshed and encouraged. Even in this bothersome world and all that is going on, go refreshed and encouraged, even emboldened to live for him who made you new. And tell others where life alone is found, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for our union with Christ. We thank you that you are victorious and all-powerful and sovereign over the works of man and all of your creation. We thank you for the promise that you will one day make all things new as well as you, will make, as you have made us new and that you will be with us uh, in Christ forever through the power and presence of the Spirit. We pray that you would continue to be with us now, protect us in Christ's name. Amen.